Wow. We like to see something that's persistent come out on top, especially when it looks like they're the underdog. Did you, did you catch in the video the humans? You know, I'm looking around. Nobody's got horns or sharp teeth. People like us in the video, okay, but we couldn't see them. Seven times in that short frame of five minutes, they said, it's too late. 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 An average of once every minute. More than an average of once every minute. Humans are saying, it's too late. Why do we use this kind of stuff? And we use it. And there's people who who say we're putting on a show because you see visual communicates. And then if we think about the visual and, and we let our ears hear some things that we saw, God can so much impact us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus would walk around and He'd find a video, a visual. He'd find something happening. And then He would watch it with the people and He would teach. And what I want to say this morning is maybe, maybe in your life there is something you think it's too late. And I want to tell you, be careful. Be careful of those creatures you're around called humans. Who will say to you, it's too late? It's too late. And we hear that on a regular basis. God wants us to learn to be persistent. He made us to overcome, folks. And when sin entered our experience and broke this world, and it broke creation, and it broke you and I, and some of us want to deny that, Things happen sometimes because of our choices, sometimes because of somebody else's choices, and life is tough. And sometimes we want to give up, and others are telling us it's too late. And when God walked on this earth, when Jesus, the Son of God, was here, He talked about persistence. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Okay? It's the back of your Bible. It's going to, it's going to be, if you got your Bible, it's going to be toward the back. There's the New Testament, Old Testament in the front, the New Testament back, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Or look at your table contents. Man, I got a paper clip on my table contents so I can find it real quick. But look with me at Luke, and I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. Get a copy of God's Word. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, there's New Testaments that are out in the, in the foyer out there, the first impression area. Just take one of those and bring it back with you each week. And if you got that New Testament, we're on page 68. Because I'm going to ask you to underline some things. Sometimes I ask you to circle some things. And as I've said before, some of you, and I'll say it on a regular basis because I want you to get used to handling God's Word. Some of you have told me you've done this very thing. 
There's a page in your worship handout that has a place for filling in the blanks. You take that, you take the Scriptures, you look at those underlined parts, you read it this week, and what happens is the Scripture comes alive to you again. And in six months, the underlined parts will make you understand the rest of that passage if you read Luke six months from now or two years from now. Because God's Word encourages us. And often in the face of situations that are trying to overcome us. And sometimes we feel it's too late. But before we look into that, okay, we, we do something here at Connection. If you've been here before, we don't pass offering plates. If people want to give to Connection, they put it in the box and back. I'm like many of you, I work a full-time job during the week, other and then I do my connection. I work 32 hours during the week, four days, eight-hour days during the week. Okay, and, and and then I do connection. We don't take an offering. If you want to give an offering, you can. You put it in the box. That's your choice. But what we do, the fourth or the last Sunday of the month, is we pass some bags like our popcorn bags, and we receive a gift. And we're going to pass those in a little bit, but you need to understand what that is. And if this is your first Sunday to be here, or first few Sundays to be here, and you're not a connection regular, you don't even worry about getting into your pocketbook or your purse or your, your pockets. Okay, This is not to get a large amount of money. But we're going to pass the pop, the bags, and, and we just ask people to drop in quarters, dimes, dollars, whatever. Some people write a check, okay? And if you write a check, it won't be used in the offering today. It'll be put in next month's offering. Because what we do, we take all that cash, our lead team. You read your back of your worship handout, we have a group of lead team people who make many of the decisions that occur here at Connection. They're going to go out there and count that money. They're going to bring it back in. They're going to give it to me. And at the end of worship, I'm going to give it to one of you. But I'm going to give it to one of you for the purpose not that you keep, but that you give it to somebody else this week. And so the money we receive is not for us to keep. It's for us to give. And the reason we do it this way, because I want you people to experience often what I experience in helping people. And to hear, to see sometimes their tears, to hear their words of thanksgiving, and maybe sometimes they don't say anything because they don't know how to express gratitude. So that you realize you can make a difference in people's lives. And I don't really concern myself. I don't try to generate this to be a large offering. Because if it was $20 and you gave $20 to the right person at the right day, it would make a difference. And I want you to learn that because you see, you have, you have the power that God has given you to bless lives with small things. It doesn't have to be big things. And with gifts. And so we're going to do that. So I'd like the lead team people to come and take the place in the aisles and begin passing those bags, if you would, okay? We got a, this is a new uh, venue for us, so we're getting used to that. They're just going to pass it down, you pass it down, and they'll get it and they'll take it out, okay? Now, you listen to me. If that bag goes past and you need a 10 or 20, you reach in and you take it out, okay? You just take it out. If you need it, you take it out, okay? Some of you, you just may be on the brink, Okay? Why it's going by. Listen, I'm going to sit down today. People who have been with us when we met the primary center realized from time to time I'd sit down. Often I feel I need to sit down whenever it may be a kind of sermon that I don't want to appear that I'm standing over and I'm telling. What we're going to look at today 
is so significant that I don't want to I don't want to appear to be taller than you. I want to appear to be with you in this reference. What we're going to look at today from the words of Jesus, I think are extremely important. Not that his other words aren't, but there's some passages, maybe they just hit me that way. And I might jump up and walk around because I do that, but I'll come back and I'll sit down. And only if I see people having trouble seeing me that I'll stop sitting. And I was concerned because I've not done this in this venue. And whether everybody can see me, some of you may have to turn your head. If you're getting tired and you go to sleep, just be still. I'll notice. Okay? If I can't keep you awake, take a nap. Okay? And you think I'm saying that to be funny? I, I'm amazed young people. They stay up to 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they come to worship. Boy, praise God that they make that effort. Some of you go to homecoming, prom, dances, you have celebration, and then you make an effort to come. If I can't keep you awake, you take a nap. Somebody picks on you, tell them to talk to the pastor. Okay? This is very important what we're going to talk about. Okay? So before we start, how about if we just bow together? Whether you close your eyes or not, I don't think God cares. Just listen. Father, may we join together in asking you to speak to us now. God, so many of us and so many things going on in our lives, and we've got people out there who keep speaking the negative into us. Father, help us to hear Jesus. Help us to hear what He is saying. Help us to hear Your words. Help me to say it in a correct manner. We humble ourselves before You so that Your Spirit can make the changes in us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Look on the screen if you would, okay? Here's a statement by Calvin Coolidge. Some not consider him a very good president, but this is a good statement. 30th United States president, okay? He said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Now listen to what he says. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. You see them all around you. Okay? He says, genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. By that he means it's commonplace. There are people who have tremendous intellect. God gave them that potential. They don't know persistence. He says, education will not. Get an education. Do get an education. Make a difference maybe 20, 30 years from now. Right now you don't want to do the work. Could make a difference 20 years from now in your livelihood. He says, education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. There's people who've got degrees and they're not finding life. They're not finding life. He says, persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Persistence and determination is so powerful. The slogan, press on, came out of the Scriptures, the New Testament, and he's using it. The slogan, press on, other people use it, comes out of the New Testament. America wasn't even around, wasn't even in anybody's idea of conception when the New Testament was written, okay? 
The slogan press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Persistence. Persistence. Jesus is going to talk about persistence this morning. Hear Him. Hear Him, please. Because we need, we need God to empower us to overcome. Like we saw in that video. And it was such a first time I saw that to see the calf get up. If you have your handout, and you, you probably want to pick one up when you come in because we'll use them. I want you to look on the page that has the date. I want you to look at that first blank. I'd like you to fill in that first blank before we get into Scriptures. To reiterate what Calvin Cooley says, and these are my words, persistence leads to perseverance. Put that word perseverance. P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-A-N-C-E. Long word. Persistence leads to perseverance. Whenever, whenever I saw these words, I wanted to take off after a New Testament passage where Paul was trying to encourage people who were ready to give up in life. And he says, one of the things God develops in us is perseverance. But some of us haven't got that developed because we didn't have parents who developed it in us. We, we come from a line of people. Oh, they're good people. But they just don't know perseverance. And it's a characteristic God wants to develop in us. Persistence leads to perseverance. The Bible tells us that perseverance is to be a characteristic of the followers of Christ. If I would have bought Paul's passage in here, we always go to about noon. So if you come around Connection, we're going to be here to about 12 o'clock. Okay? But we'd be here to 12.30. And I don't want to do that to you. Okay? I don't mind you taking a nap, but I don't want anybody snoring. Okay? Good deal. Okay, let's look at our Bibles. Luke 18. Or look on the screen if you want. Or pull out that app and... And and look at it on your phone. It says, one day... Now, let me stop, because some of you, we've got some new people. Luke is writing. Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke never saw Jesus. Okay? you got four Gospels. you got Matthew. He walked with Jesus. you got Mark. He didn't walk with Jesus. But his story, what he's writing, is what Peter told him. Peter walked with Jesus. And you got John, he walked with Jesus. Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke is a man who just about 20-some years later as a believer is going back to the area of Israel and he is investigating. He says that in the very first chapter. I'm not telling you that. In the first chapter, he says, I've carefully investigated these things so that the person he's writing to will know the things that he heard about Jesus are true. You and I... We can't go back and talk to those people. Luke could talk to the shepherds in the fields. Luke could talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus. See, Luke could talk to the person who was healed. You and I can't do that. And before you, before you scoffed at that, understand, okay, I'm a history major. I've taught history at Wren Lake. That doesn't mean I'm special. I'm just telling you, I could teach things out of history that had less written evidence. But I could teach them in the public college but if I teach this, people say, there's not enough evidence. There's more evidence for Jesus than there are for some of those things. Luke investigated. That's the only way we can teach history. From what we get. From written history. Because there's no eyewitnesses of much of all of history of antiquity. And so, 
Luke is right, and so he says here, he says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story. Now, I want to emphasize it's a story. That means Jesus is making it up. It's not an illustration. They're not, they're not witnessing something. Jesus is telling a story. He is creating this. So why does he tell stories? Because he tells stories to teach big. B-I-G with capital letters. Big truths. Anytime Jesus is telling a story in the Bible, you ought to pay attention. Matter of fact, it'd probably be a good idea to circle that word story just to remind you, Jesus has a purpose here. He didn't just happen on something. He's going to teach a big truth, okay? And I would recommend you underline the re- the next 11 words after it says a story. To show that they should always pray and never give up. Now that's the point he's going to make in the story. And he's going to reiterate that a little bit later. But that's the point. When you read this, when you read these verses, that's the point. That's what you want to remember when you read this. That, to show that they should always pray and never give up. The people who are trying to find God's life here on earth should pray and never give up. Okay? And there's three points in this story. There's a judge, very powerful. There's a woman, powerless. And then there's a difficult situation that Jesus says is the enemy or an enemy. That's what he calls it. So you got a very powerful person, you got a very powerless person, and you got an enemy, a difficult situation. Those are the three parts of his story. So look at verse 2. There was a judge in a certain city. He said, okay, Jesus said, who neither feared God. Now let me stop. First main part of the story, the judge, right here. Okay? It says, he do, who neither feared God. Listen, what Jesus is saying, this guy doesn't worry about anybody else's authority in his life. This guy is not concerned about what somebody else has to say. He's the judge. He has the power. He doesn't think someday I'm going to die and I'll stand before the final judge, God. Okay? He's saying, I am the judge of my life. I'm the one who makes the decisions on what I do. Please understand that. This is a guy that has no fear of God. There's no other judge in his life but himself. In other words, he is his own God. That's what he is. Oh, bad place to get, folks. Bad place to get. That's where he is. It goes on in verse 2, not only who neither feared God nor cared about people. Wow. Wow. He's not really concerned about anyone else but himself. His life is busy with his own concerns. His life is busy with his family's concerns. Somebody say, you're reading in there? No, but that would be what we would assume. He doesn't care about other people. If you're a victim, he doesn't care. Wait a minute, he's a judge. Hey, doesn't make any difference. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about justice. But he's a judge. No. He doesn't care about people. He's not concerned that justice is met. All he's concerned is that his needs are met. Be careful that you're not like that. Because we see injustice all around us. We watch a TV show called Big Brother. Any of you watch Big Brother? Good. I appreciate the three of us. Watch it, okay? You know, there's only a few intellectual people in a group all the time. You know that, Terry? Yeah. Okay. We never watched it. We probably missed the first five, seven seasons. This is season 15. But I've got four grown children, and when we get together, guess what they would always talk about? Big Brother. 
reality show. Who wants to waste time with a reality show? But I like to find common denominators with my kids. When they were little, they found common denominators with me. And as they grow, we found common denominators with them. And then they went off, got married, and grandchildren. Only common denominators sometimes. And so Laura and I began watching. Well, this season, there are a couple... There, there's a person who has taken a racial... Well, just not nice things. And she confronts, she is confronted by a person of the race that she says some derogatory things. And I'm watching, Lord, I'm watching, I'm saying, oh, why don't a white person stand up? Don't make that racial person defend themselves. See, that's what we're talking about, caring about justice. You get involved. This man doesn't care about justice. He doesn't. He doesn't care about people. So he really doesn't care about justice. And you know what? Life can get us where we don't care about justice except for ourselves and our family. When sometimes if you would stand up, you could make a difference. Some of you high school people, your teachers, your professors need you to say a kind word. And if you don't care about justice, you say, well, that's okay, it's none of my business. This man, he doesn't care about people. He just got his job. He likes his job taking care of his needs. Now look, verse 3. It says, a widow of that city. Now that's the second main part of the story. It's the widow. The judge is powerful. He's going to make decisions people got to live by. Though he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care for people, so he's going to make decisions he want to make. If he wants to be lazy, he'll make lazy decisions. See? If he doesn't care about somebody, he won't worry about giving them justice. He's just going to make his decisions. How it might impact his life. But you got this woman, and she's powerless. Now, I want you to understand, in the time Jesus tells the story, women are often just considered as property of men. Matter of fact, I'm not stretching it. They were looked on often like just cattle, livestock to men. And I'm telling you, lady, if you're, in, if you're dating you young gals, if you're dating a man like that, you just cut it off. You're not property. And you're not just like livestock. You're just not another thing in man's life. If you're going to build a relationship with him, you are to become his companion. You are to become one flesh. The Bible says he ought to treat you as he would treat himself. But in that day, women were just property. They they couldn't own property. They couldn't vote. Women who owned property somehow got a break in life. Because women were not to be owning property. Women weren't to vote. Okay? And they were often taken advantage by men. Okay? And God tells us in His story, there's this powerful judge and there's this woman. And I want you to understand something, ladies. God loves women. I love women. Because God loves women. God loves women. Well, let's go on. Okay. A widow of that city came to Him repeatedly. Now she's persistent. She doesn't give up. And it says, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And that's a third main part of the story. Okay? It's a difficult situation. We don't know who the enemy is. I assume it's somebody she's got a dispute with. But it's a difficult situation. Jesus doesn't go into it because if He went into it and if it wasn't your difficult situation, you say these words don't apply to you. See, but you know you've got an enemy. You've got a difficult situation. Sometimes it could be the person you're married to. Sometimes it could be your parents. Sometimes it could be your children. Sometimes it could be the place you work at. Sometimes it could be your neighbor. See, you've got a difficult situation. And that's what she's got. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring out. Okay, What we do know, that it's not settled correctly. Because in Jesus' story, He says, she says to the judge, give me 
justice, see, in this dispute with my enemy. She's not getting justice. And that's what a judge is supposed to give. But look, listen, I told you, he doesn't care about justice. If you don't care about people, you don't care about justice except for yourself. He doesn't care about justice. But Jesus puts him into this story. All this woman wants is what is fair in life. That's all she wants. And that's what you might find yourself saying sometimes. Listen, I don't mean to be hard. I don't mean to get upset. I'm just looking for what's fair. And that's all she wants. Now verse 4, the judge ignored her for a while. In other words, he's saying she'll eventually give up. You know, that's a sad thing. That's what we do. Satan knows that. Satan knows that. And if Satan's not real, then Jesus told a lie because Jesus says Satan is real. Okay? And Jesus says Satan is a father of lies. So Satan tells us lies. And he tells us there's no hope. You ought to give up. Nothing's going to change. Okay? In other words, he, this judge ignores her. He says she'll give up. She'll give up. And he goes on. But finally he said to himself, now look, Jesus reiterates this. The judge is not a real person. Jesus is putting the words in the judge's mouth. Okay? The judge says, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. In other words, she practices perseverance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? See, I want to get up and I want to walk around and tell you how she do it. But I don't want to get to that position. I want you to hear this. The judge comes out in the morning to go to work. And guess who's there at the steps of his house? It's the woman. And she says, good morning, judge. How you doing? Looks like a good day. No, looks like it's going to rain. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, judge, by the way, you know, I could use a little justice in this dispute. Man, he's so glad he picks up his steps to get to work so he doesn't talk to her anymore. And she's so persistent that she's learned where he likes to eat. And so when lunchtime comes, he goes to his restaurant, and guess who's there? And she just happens to bring her food over to his table and say, Hey, Judge, remember me? Good to see you again. And she shares with him, I just want some justice in my dispute. Well, you know, he's just going back to work. We always run away from those things that sometimes God wants us involved with. And so he gets off work, and when he walks out, he looks, and she's learned his little trick. He won't come out if he sees her. So he doesn't see her. He comes out, and he walks down the corner. She comes around the corner and says, Hey, Judge! <laughs> Been a good day? I hope things went well. Hope you helped people. Hey, by the way, could I get some justice? See, that's what Jesus is trying to say. I just talked about that. In other words, I showed you Sylvester Stallone. And when we got those long videos, we started them a little bit earlier. Some of you only caught half of it. But he didn't give up. Matt talked about that. Matter of fact, if you caught one time, he went to an agent at 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. The agent wouldn't see him. The agent wouldn't see him. The next morning when the agent come to work, there's still Sylvester Stallone. And he explains to the agent, I've stayed all night. And he got his first job. I graduate from high school. I'm 17. I'm an immature, spoiled brat. I'm the baby of 12 children. My parents are older when they raised me. And so they give more than they, they, they withheld. I'm not proud of that, okay? But I remember, I, I'm, I'm working a fast food restaurant job. Making $1.42 or $1.35 an hour. One of those prices. I think it was $1.35. Whenever I went to college, I got another fast food job, restaurant job to work within my schedule, and I think I made $1.42 there. But let's say $1.35. And so what I hear is, or I want to make a little bit more money. You know, I'm young. And my mom says, you want to make some more money? Yeah. I hear United Parcel Service is hiring here in Decatur. I grew up in Decatur. And they pay $3.33 an hour. 
Work an hour for a dollar for 35. Work an hour for two bucks more. Well, what do I do, Mom? I hear they're taking applications at five or during the day. And they close, take stop at 5 o'clock. So I go out there on a Monday. I find I go out there. Monday's the only time. So I go out there first Monday and I put in my application. You know what? Come next Sunday, Mom said, hey, did you get that job? Now, now, she knows what I got the job. No, I didn't get the job. You want that job? You like to make two bucks more or three thirty-three an hour? She says she didn't say two bucks. That's how I talk. She just say three dollars thirty-three cents. You know, moms are they're they're good. And I said, no, I didn't get the job. She says you want you want to make three dollars and thirty-three cents an hour? You want to make a dollar thirty-five? I said, well, I'd like to make three thirty-three. She said, go put an application. I said, I did, mom, last Monday. Go put one in tomorrow. Oh, mom. Well, I get up and I go put in another application. Next Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, sometime Sunday, she says, Hey, did you get that job? Mom, you know I didn't get that job. She said, I didn't say it that nice. Okay? I'm not proud of that. And she says, Would you like my Bob goes through it? Go put an application. Hey, I've already done it twice. I go out and put in the third application that next Monday because it works on my conscience. Moms are great like that, okay? Dad just tells you 14 times in a row. But you shut Dad off, you look at him, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But in your mind, you're, you're watching Rocky. <laughs> okay. But moms, mom, the lady told me, you've been here three times, we got your application, we know you want the job. Mom says, you want the job? Yeah, go back fourth time. I go back the fourth Monday. Mom says, Nick Sunday, you got the job? No, mom, you know I don't have the job. I'd be working there. She says, you want the job? Go back the... Fifth Monday. Mom, I'm not going back to Fifth Monday. It was embarrassing last week. I go to Fifth Monday. The lady says, you've been here four times, right? Hey, we're hired. Can you be here at 10.30 tonight? Didn't even look through the file. Didn't see if I was more qualified than anybody else. Just wanted to know, did I want a job? Are you following with me? I've never forgot that. And you can tell me that won't work today. Persistence works. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to this lady. And see, we talk ourselves out of persistence. Listen, your wife's having trouble with you guy. Start buying the flowers. But she just throws them away. That's okay. Don't buy so many so you don't spend quite as much money. <laughs> he won't listen to you. Keep being sweet with him. Yeah, but he turns me off after I've been sweet. That's okay. Keep being sweet. See, persistence pays off. The judge's conclusion in this story is, this woman's driving me crazy. Well, let's go on. Verse 5, I'm going to see that she gets justice. Wow! He doesn't care about people. But she's driving him crazy. Persistence, perseverance is what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples. That's what He's trying to teach you and I. I know sometimes there are situations it's best just to realize we've come to the end. Start again. That's perseverance. You see, it's not whether you fall down or you fail. In a marriage, at a job, you made the wrong choices and got arrested. It's not whether you fall down and fail. That is you. It's whether you'll be persistent and get back up. That's what. That's what's important. That is the thing that Jesus is trying to get across. Persistence. He says, because she's wearing me out with her constant request, verse 6, 
And you know, he's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to see if she gets dusted. Verse 6, then the Lord said, the story's over, see? The story's over. You try to read anything else into it, but persistence and perseverance, you've missed it. It's the, it's the powerless person in life. You say, I don't have any clout. I don't have any power. Nobody pays attention. This is what this widow was. Everybody else is so much powerful. And they really don't care about anybody. Persistence, Jesus is telling His disciples. That's what He's telling you and I. And so He says, then the Lord said in verse 6, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even He rendered a just decision in the end. Now here's the point of Jesus' story. Underline the rest of verse 7. When you read this, you realize why He's telling the story in the beginning, but the rest of verse 7 is the point reiterated. So don't you. <laughs> Listen, he's talking to Matthew, John, and, and, and Bartholomew. He's talking to those guys who are following him. But you know what? He's talking to Mike Davis. So don't you, Mike, think God will surely give justice to His chosen people who cry out to Him? That's the word pray. That's how we cry out to God. Most of us don't say, Hey God! Excuse me. Hey God! We pray. And he says, Don't you think God will surely give justice to His chosen people who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? And then verse 8, He says, I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. In other words, God is not an uncaring God. Now I know, some of you have trouble identifying with God as a good father because you had a bad father image. And so the Bible says God is the Father to the fatherless. Some of your dads abandoned you even though they stayed in the home. Some of them abandoned you literally. They left you. But some of your dads abandoned us even though they stayed in the home. And you're saying, I, I don't have a good picture of a father. Well, the Bible says God is the Father to the fatherless. To people who don't understand that. And God is a... Is a He's not an uncaring God. He's a caring God. He's not an unkind God. He's a kind God. And prayer is simply talking to one who cares about us. Talking to Him again and again. Some people say, you don't have to pray again. God heard you. Jesus is saying, pray again. You know, sometimes He tells us. There's another place He says, just bring it to God and then leave it. But here He says, be persistent. I don't know what you're going through. But don't be like those humans in the video. It's too late. It's too late. Because it just may not be too late. I already told you, there's a time some things just have to stop and you have to start again. I already talked about that. But Jesus is not talking about those times. He's talking that we don't give up. We t God, God talks to us through His Word and through His Spirit speaking to our mind and we talk to Him by prayer. And God, like any parent, will say sometimes, Okay, yes, I'll answer that. And He meets our need. Sometimes He says no, because He knows it's not the best thing for us. That always sort of aggravates me. Why He has to say no whenever I know what's best for me. But He knows what's best. And you know what? Sometimes He says later. And every parent knows you have to say those three things to your children. If all you ever do is say yes, you'll spoil that brat. Sometimes a parent has to say yes. It's the right time. Sometimes the parent has to say no because it's not what the parent's ever going to provide. And sometimes a parent has to say, that's a good request, later. 
Another year in your life, another time. And that's what God does. And boy, whenever my prayers aren't answered, I look back and try to figure that out. See, I pray for some people, and God's answer is no, I won't answer that prayer. You know why? Because those people refuse. God, I'm praying for so-and-so that they'll get off drugs. But you see, God will say, no, it's not going to happen, Mike. Because see, that person refuses to stop taking drugs. And God gives us free will. But God is a good parent. He answers your prayer. Yes, no, later. Well, look at verse 8. He goes on after he says justice to them quickly. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Now what kind of faith after a story like that? Well, look on your, your worship handout, the next blank. Jesus is saying that faith is demonstrated when you pray persistently. See, most of you daddies, you are really going at it with your boys. You may go at it with your, your daughters, but you really go at it with the boys. And most of you moms, you really go at it with your daughters. You may go at it with your boys, but you say, I want your dad to talk to you. And you know, you, you do very little praying to God. Jesus is saying, be persistent. Don't believe it's too late. But understand, the Son of Man is looking for faith in us that doesn't give up praying. And we demonstrate that faith by persistently praying. That's how he concludes that story. Now look at verse 9. Then Jesus told them, told this story. Another story. Okay? And I put them together because apparently they're pretty close together. So remember, a story is what he makes up. It's not something that really happened in life. Jesus is making up the story to teach a big truth. Persistence, perseverance is a big truth when it seems like it's too late. Now he's going to tell another big truth. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some, verse 9 again, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Oh man, these are cocky people he's talking to. Great confidence in their own righteousness. I've been successful for so many years. Great confidence in their own righteousness that it moved to the place. Look what he says. And they scorned, they scorned everyone else. In other words, the Greek for that scorned everyone else meant they tend to look down at other people with their ideas in those areas where they felt They were self-righteous and they knew because they'd been doing it for 30 years. Why do I need you to tell me how to do that? I know that's scorning in accordance to the Greek. That's what Jesus is trying to say in this story. So now He's telling the story for whom? For people who are caught up in self-righteousness. They know. And don't you ever try to tell them. Don't you ever try to tell them. See, some people know And you can enter a conversation with them. And they will take advice. But there's others who are self-righteous. They're self-righteous. They won't take advice. They won't take advice in regard to their marriage. They won't take any advice in regard to their families. They won't take any advice in regard to their finances. They, They won't take any advice in helping to build something. Because they're self-righteous. And they prove that because they tend to look down on those that might be offering some advice. I'm not saying the advice is right or wrong, but they just look down on them. 
based upon, I know I've been doing this. I got the understanding. Well, he goes on. He talks about that. Two men went to the temple to pray. Now, let me stop for a minute. Because I want you to understand, he's going to tell us about two people. And you're going to be one or the other. I'm one or the other. And he's telling this to people who are self-righteous. Self-righteous people tend to say, my opinion is what's right. I don't need anybody else even talking to me about something that's different from my opinion. Self-righteous people tend to say, I've done it this way and I'm going to do it this way and I don't need anybody else telling me there might be another way to do it. Self-righteous people. They don't need anyone else's help. You approach a self-righteous person and they tend to get upset. Even when you offer just to help. And what you say is, all I was trying to do is, is help. And what do you hear out of their mouth? I don't need anybody's help. Why do I keep hitting this? Folks, because self-righteousness is a great danger. It's full of all kinds of pride. Are you full of self-righteousness? Your mate knows. And probably if you are, your other mates, ex-mates know. Your children know. And if anybody works with you, they know. Are you full of self-righteousness? So let's look at the two men that went to the temple. Because that's who he's talking to. So we've got to keep that in our mind. In other words, they're seeking to approach God. You go to church to approach God. Okay? That's the purpose. Okay? I know some of you here because somebody threatened your life. Okay? Okay. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee, says in verse 11, let me tell you, a Pharisee is a religious person. I've talked, if you've gone through Luke with me, you understand. Pharisees are not good people that Jesus talked about. The Pharisees he talked about are religious people that are caught in their tradition and they're only going to do it their way and they can't be comfortable in some other kind of way. Okay? And, and you just had to follow us through Luke. We'll be getting into that because these guys are going to kill him someday. The Pharisee, who is a religious person, and in other words, he goes to the temple, he fits in well at the temple. Oh, wow. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Because see, Mike's a Pharisee. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good to see you. Oh, we thought you was going to be late. We thought you weren't going to make it. We would have missed you. See, in other words, he's a so-called respected person in church. That's what he is. Look what verse 11 said. The, the Pharisee stood by himself. You see, he doesn't need anybody else. They don't need to talk to anybody else. I mean, hey, he's self-righteous. He's okay. He's cool. Big deal about that other man that came in or that other woman that came in. Big deal. Why do I need to talk to them? Man, I'm self-righteous. I've already decided I can hide in the room. I can hide in the corner. I can be by myself. Because you understand, self-righteous, I've already identified myself. I'm a person who is introverted and I don't want to be around people. See, he's just, he's just, he's just full of self-righteousness. He doesn't need anybody. But he needs God, he says. And he prayed this prayer. Remember, Jesus made it up. Jesus wants us to see ourselves. Look how he prays. I thank you, God. Well, that's pretty good. Gratitude to God. I thank you, God. That, uh-oh. I am not a sinner. 
like everybody else, everyone else. See, he's looking at those people. He's judging them as they come to the door. You, you know, it'd be like us standing out here. And they come in and we say, oh man, there's trouble. Oh man, they can't get their life together. Oh man, you see all those tattoos on that body? Oh, look at all those piercings. Oh, I know them. They, they, they drink. I know them. They take drugs. Boy, God, I thank you. I don't have piercings and tattoos and I don't drink and I don't take drugs. And God's looking and saying, you so self-righteous. You're not like them. You condescend on them. What are you really like? And I'm going to tell you, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your friends, probably the people who work, they know your self-righteousness. This guy, he says, I'm not a sinner compared to everybody else. And we always look at people who, who have some kind of thing in their life, and it may not even be a sin. It's that we decide it's not what you do. His attitude is one of contempt regarding other people. And his attitude is one is, I'm okay, I don't need to show compassion to others. I'm not as bad as others. He doesn't even recognize his own need for God. I'm glad, I thank you God that I am not a sinner. God's ears perks up and says, okay, I know. Like those others. He goes on verse 11, for I don't cheat. Oh, look at this. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly a lot like that tax collector. Jesus telling the story because he's going to use the tax collector in a little bit. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Look at what he says in verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. I was going to talk about all those things, but they took too long, and the story is really about this guy's self-righteousness. He goes to the temple to talk to God. That's why you're supposed to go to church. A relationship with God. And you know what? Instead, all he does is talk about himself. If you stood in our church and nobody talked to you for two or three weeks, you'd say, nobody seems to want to be my friend. But you don't talk to people for two or three weeks. And they say, you don't want to be my friend. You say, that's, that's, not, that's not true. I want to be your friend. You see, this guy only talks about himself. When he looks at other people, he don't have the time of day for them because you see, they don't meet his standard, his righteousness. And in his prayer, if you count it, I can't. He said, God once, one time, and he says, I or I'm eight times. In just this brief prayer. He's not talking to God, he's talking about himself. That's what self-righteous people do. Don't you understand I'm stressed? Don't you understand i got so much I have to do? Don't you understand my plate's full? Don't you understand? Self-righteous people only see themselves. Matter of fact, I've met family members when the self-righteous ones in their family starts to change, the family members start to smile. They're thinking it's not too late. And then the self-righteous person becomes self-righteous again. And the family members start to frown. But they love 
that self-righteous person. They don't give up. This guy, all he can say is, God, look at me. Look at me. No humbleness, just arrogance. Full of self-righteousness. I'm not as bad as the others. This Pharisee did not go to church that day to relate to God. He went to church so he would look good that day. See, I even go to church. Verse 13. But the tax collector. Now let me, let me explain the tax collector. Routinely, not a religious person. I could go into their crooks, they're dishonest, they're Jews who work for the Roman government, and the Roman government says, if we need $10 from that person, you get, the, you get us our $10, and if you can get $100, you can keep the 90 Tax collectors were notoriously bad people. Okay? Sort of like preachers. And lawyers. And doctors. How about plumbers? You never see that they're finished work. How about people who constructed this building? We can't see what's behind these walls. See, I'm just trying to include everybody. But we like to pick on those professional people. Tax collector was not a good guy. He didn't fit in well in the temple. He shouldn't even be there. Because all those Jews, they in their self-righteousness say, we don't need people like that around here. And I'm telling you, we want people like that here at Connection. If we've, got, if we've got a community drunk, we want you to invite him to connection. If we've got a community prostitute, we want you to invite her to connection. Or him. If we've got people who can't get their sexual life straight, and they always say, I'm coming out of the closet, we want you to invite him to connection. If we've got people who can't control their, their, their drinking, invite him to connection. We've got people who can't control the substance that they abuse, invite him to connection. And if there's people who are self-righteous, can't stand it, let's let them leave. And I don't say that with any, any sense of arrogance. It's humility to understand Jesus said, I come to those who need a doctor. And those who don't need a doctor, it don't do any good to try to talk to them anyway. Self-righteous people don't need a doctor. They don't need God's message. They don't need a pastor's advice. They don't need their mate's advice. They don't need their parents' advice. They don't need their children's advice. You see, because sometimes children become self-righteous. All a parent is trying to do is help a child and the child refuses to even give that parent any input. And it works the opposite with, with parents who are self-righteous. This tax collector doesn't fit in in this situation, but Jesus puts him in there. He didn't say, Pharisee and a sinner, Pharisee and tax collector. The disciples would have got the visual. So, but the tax collector, says in 13, stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. The ideal is that's the position of humility. That's why I said, let's bow our heads. I told you, if you heard me, I said, I don't think God cares whether you close your eyes unless it's your righteousness that says, I'm not going to close my eyes. Then you ought to close it just to humble yourself before God. But I don't think that makes your prayer better. We bow our heads in a sense. We're humbling ourselves before God. I don't think if you keep your head up, sometimes I pray looking into the mirror when I'm shaving. My eyes are wide open, my head's up. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to be shaving, close your eyes, put your head down, you'll have to cut your throat. See? 
But the ideal in the story is he takes a position of humility contrast to the Pharisee who ought to know to have humility. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. In other words, that's the action that you would understand. The action that says, I'm hurting inside. I am sorry. And I know... I know because anger is my number one life issue that my wife would tell you sometimes in our heats of our arguments, I'd say, don't you understand what I'm going through? I'm not proud of that. This guy beating his chest humbly before God is God. I'm hurting inside. Don't you know what's going on? And I... Been doing this too long. Some of you came through the door today and came in here and I know you're beating your chest and I thank you for not giving up. And at least giving God one more time to speak to you. That's what this guy does. He doesn't belong in this temple. He doesn't fit in with the people he's around. But we see his position of humility. We see his action of saying, I'm hurting God. Oh man, my chest going to hurt this afternoon. <laughs> my wife's over here and she's saying, yeah, I know. I'll hear about it later. Oh, I hurt myself. Whenever I, we were married for probably 20 years, it, she would just hit me so hard in the stomach. And it, it wouldn't phase me. One day, I don't know, somewhere in the forest, she hit me in the stomach. Like, oh, man! It took her about seven years to learn not to hit me in the stomach anymore. And she's grinning because she knows that's true. Oh, man, my chest. <laughs> Look what he says. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God. Look at the contrast to the self-righteous. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Or be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. He goes to the temple to talk to God and you know what God makes him realize? You're not perfect. And he says, oh God, I know I'm not perfect. Because you see, when we allow God to tear down our self-righteous foundations, He can build something in us. But as long as we keep trying to keep our self-righteousness and God's righteousness, they don't go together because our self-righteousness always collides. That's why some people, self-righteous people will try church and then they end up coming to church. But they really don't they hear something, but they don't hold on to it. And then eventually they say, I don't need to keep going to church. Because you see, God's righteousness and self-righteousness, they always collide. They always collide. This guy, he's there to talk to God and he does. And he humbly acknowledges his position. The tax collector's prayer should be our prayer. Put yourself in the story. Who are you? Are you the Pharisee? Are you the tax collector? You know. <laughs> and I've got a feeling that the person, if you brought somebody with you, sitting beside you knows. And I don't say that, and they should not point fingers. What they should do is pray persistently for you. You understand? Which are you in the story? Look at verse, the rest of verse 13. Yeah, look at, no, 14. That's where we're at. Verse 14. Underline the first 13 words. I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. 
when you read this story, those are the words you must understand because it makes you go back and look. What's this Pharisee like? What's this tax collector like? Am I like the Pharisee? Am I like the tax collector? This, this was a hard part of this sermon to prepare for me, folks, because I struggle with self-righteousness. You see, I've, I've been working with learning Scriptures and, and trying to get my life disciplined because I lived in rebellion for six years with my parents and poor my wife for two to five years had to face that and I didn't want anybody telling me. And you know what? Whenever I'd find victory, I'd move to self-righteousness. See? My way works. And now I learn Scripture and I find victory and i got to be careful because I look at somebody who hasn't found that victory and I keep encouraging them in the Scriptures and I think, you know what? They are really, they're just not as good as me. All oh, self-righteousness. And I'm telling you, if you get in my prayer life, I tell God, I'm sorry. Sometimes maybe in conversation with you, that self-righteousness can sort of come across. So don't point your finger at me. Pray for me persistently. But I know this. That's why I'm sitting this morning. Because anyone who has successes in the spiritual life always has to struggle with any kind of self-righteousness. Anyone who has successes in self-sufficiency of providing for yourself has to struggle with self-righteousness that you don't look down on somebody who either didn't get the breaks or didn't make the right choices at the right time in their lives to be able to get what you are getting now. doesn't mean... You've got to give everything up that you own, but it means you can't sit in self-righteousness. And it's so easy to slip into that. I hate it. Again, 14, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Jesus says the Pharisee Got nothing out of his relationship with God. No justification. No comfort. There's people who come to church, they don't get nothing. Because self-righteousness. I don't need to hear what was said. I don't need to hear what the Bible says. I don't need to change. Self-righteousness. Jesus says this guy got no, no justification. But look, the tax collector was justified before God. He received God's mercy. That's what Jesus says. Look at 14 goes on. For those who exalt themselves, who think it's all about what they do, He says will be humbled. In other words, they're not going to receive what God's got for them. Look, you can't get a hold of what God wants in your marriage if you exalt yourself. You can't get a hold of what God's got for you in regard to your finances. You can't get a hold of what God's got for you in regard to your family. You can't get a hold of what God's got for you in regard to life. Because you see, you keep building yourself up. Probably the people around you need to hear a lot of humble pie. Because God tells you. You need to say a lot of I'm sorry. He goes on, he says, and those who humble themselves, in other words, realize it's all about what God wants, not what they want, will be exalted. They're going to receive God's mercy. 
They're going to they're gonna find God's help when it comes to marriage. They're going to find God's help when it comes to family. They're going to find God's help when it comes to finances. They're going to find God's help when it comes to life. You see, because God's going to exalt them. He's a kind God. And He's a compassionate God. Look at your last blank. Let's, let's finish this. It says a person, the last blank, if you feel a person receives mercy from God not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus did. See, it's 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 not how many times you come to worship. I go to church every Sunday. It's when you come, you hear about what Jesus has done. His teachings. Stepping out of heaven, giving his life on the cross, overcoming death and raising back to life. See, I receive God's mercy not because of who I am. I'm a pastor or I memorize a bunch of verses. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's the position of humility. I invite you to receive God's grace and mercy and it comes to you if you will move from your self-righteous attitude to humble yourselves before God and let Him be God and follow Jesus Christ. The only way God sees us as righteousness is through following Jesus Look at the last verse I want us to look at on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.11 God made Him... Now, I put the parentheses in Jesus because that's who Paul's talking about. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. You see, He stepped out of heaven, no sin at all, and took our sin on the cross. Took ours. He never ever experienced sin for all eternity. For He existed long before we were ever created. This globe ever came into existence. He knew nothing about sin. You know what sin does? Sin hurts. He knew no hurt, no sin. But He who had no sin to be sin for us, He took our sin so that in Him, that's Jesus, we who know sin might become the righteousness of God. I want you to know, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to be perfect. But if you follow Jesus, you're going to know God's righteousness. And when God looks at you, He doesn't look at your failure. He looks at Jesus. For God sees you righteous because Jesus is your Lord. I invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life and begin following Him. We got that touch someone's life gift. You want to bring them up here? Thank you, Bob. Okay, when they bring two bags, if we get over $200, that's too much. We used to give it all in one bag, we, so we break it up. We got $170 in each bag, $340. So, so I want to ask two people. I want to ask uh, uh, Brent Boldry. Brett Boldry. Get that right. Get that N out of that name, right? Put two T's there. Brett Boldry. He doesn't know I was going to call on him. There. Oh, I could give you a half sheet of paper. These are just half-page instructions that we've learned from the people who've given the gift. Thank you for doing that. And uh, Tiffany Seidel. Okay. She didn't know either. If I ever call your name and you don't want to do it, just sit there and go. I'll, I'll call someone else. Okay? And that just tells them what they're, in a sense, to give it to somebody else. Hey, listen. Uh, did we have a question? Okay, No question then let's bow together and we'll be finished after this prayer. Father, thank You for this time. And, and, and Father, thank You for Jesus being dead right about our righteousness. And Father, thank You 
for Jesus being dead right about our ten seda. I think it's too late. May we hear his words. In his name we pray. Amen.